Welcome to this month's Mideast Junction with me, Anne-Marie Basada. Today we'll look at how art has changed a small village south of the Egyptian capital. Everywhere you go in Fayoum, you are surrounded by lush green fields, birds and palm trees that sway gently from the desert breeze. It's a postcard picture one would expect from the country. According to some texts, this region has the earliest evidence of farming during pharaonic times and it was the breadbasket for the Romans. As Egypt modernized, Fayoum lagged behind and remained one of the poorer agricultural regions in the country. Even today, farmers tend to their fields using traditional, outdated means and the pace of life remains slow. It's also here where you'll find the small village of Tunis, less than a population of a thousand nestled among the green landscape. The village itself began to grow after a group of like-minded artists came to establish a kind of utopia away from the chaos of Cairo. Paradise. We want to build a paradise. We want to respect the nature. We start to build using material from the environment. That's Mohamed Abla, one of the founders of this community. He's also an artist, painter, printmaker and sculptor. We start even to think about sun energy. We start, that was our hope in that time that we are. And we spent the first 10 years doing such acts. That was our dream, to respect the nature, to tell about it and how beautiful it is, and to invite people to really to enjoy. And, and that was our aim. We didn't even want to change the society here. We want only to be examples. Eveline Poré, a Swiss lady, also came with her knowledge of pottery, which over the years has turned the village into an open workshop. Mohammed says they decided to stay in Tunis for one reason. Because it was beautiful. For me, because of the sunrise. I came one night and I slept here. I was visiting Eveline. And I got up in the morning. It was the most beautiful sunrise I have ever seen. So I said, I'm here. I'm not moving. It was all, nothing else. I didn't think of working here or doing nothing. It just was beautiful. And I said, it's nice here to stay. Just a two hours drive south of Cairo, away from the Nile, one comes across a governorate of Fayoum, an oasis in the middle of the desert. The life of this oasis comes from the shores of the ancient salt water like Karun, or Moaris in ancient Greek. Today, the shores are covered with litter and shells, but those baking in the heat defy all to swim in its cooling waters. Known now as an artist community, pottery remains the main industry in Tunis among the locals and tourists. People here, they like to live in peace, and they know living in peace and uh, being such example, they benefit from it. So people come, tourists come, the, so the village is welcoming. So they try to keep this. And this establishment of art has created an oasis within an oasis. I'm here since 30 years. It started, I mean, the last maybe 15, 20 years that, to attract people. But first when I came here, there was no electricity, no water, nothing. So we built it. We built this image. When we came here, we were a group, small group of uh, writers, uh, artists. Eveline, she was making pottery, and we create this image, and we start to invite friends, and so on, and became 
And we want to prove something through this, that art and culture can change society. And this society, you see the neighbor village here or neighbor there, completely different. This village became special because of art. So art can change. In Mohammed's studio here at the Fayum Art Center that he established, the crickets chirp at night while he sands away another sculpture. Nearby, Joseph Bull, a visiting artist from England, has been working over the past six weeks to develop a technique of pottery that he says Egypt lost many years ago. That's something that the Egyptians were doing 900 AD. That was amazing. That's relatively gone underground and no one's really been developing. And if they have been developing it, it's kind of been very Jackson Pollock style. It's just like kind of splashing lusters on rather than the really acute detail. But really, the pottery that kind of makes Egypt, and I think it is Egypt, as well as other little pockets you have in Iran, you have in Iraq, you have in Syria. Luster came all the way over to Andalusia, and then Andalusia went to Italy. Pottery is not an art form specific to any one country. You'll find it in just about every ancient culture. The Egyptians, they're credited for developing the first glaze. Pottery is synonymous, it's ubiquitous all over the world. There's traces of pottery going back 15,000, 20,000 years. And some of it's actually in the Sahara, you know, where they found it in, in the, the Dakla oasis, they're finding really early elements of pottery. Here at the open-air studio overlooking the palm trees, the foot-propelled pottery wheel is working hard as Joseph works the clay, turning it into a usable or even human form. If you take a look at these pieces, we're kind of anthropomorphizing, you know, we're creating pieces. And we give them human relations, you know, we say this is a foot, of, this is a belly, these are the arms, this is the neck. So we're kind of putting human traits in them and they do look like people to a certain degree. Not a single advertisement, be it religious or political, can be seen in the limestone-coloured village of Tunis. Instead, one comes across paintings on the exterior of buildings similar to the famed Fayoum portraits. The village has grown to what it is today without government help giving it and its residents independence. Before or in the other places, people, of course, here the people, they are educated. And also they depend on themselves. They don't work for the government, okay? We don't have very few from this village who work for the government. They are all, they work for themselves. So they didn't need to show something. They don't need to lie. They don't need to do things what they don't want. So that they don't mix with all these stories. So they work, they create art, and that's enough for them. Off the main street is a workshop of Abd Sattar. He learned pottery as a child from Evelyn and now has his own place where students come to him to learn. While crouched in a corner of his studio, he talks about the students of today. I have to tell them a hundred times so they understand. They don't get it for the first time. We were good with Madame Evelyn, not like the students of today. You have to be hard with them so they understand and learn. He explains how the revival of pottery in his village saved it from the fate found in nearby places. I want to tell you something. Pottery brought us tourism, and tourism helped us to travel abroad, and then we got culture from abroad, and we started to clean the village and to develop the village.
And this Oasis of Art is also a retreat from the often unstable political situation of the country. Working in pottery, Joseph notes the relationship between creating an item as simple as a goblet and a self-reflection. It doesn't matter what you're drinking, if you're drinking water or if you're drinking wine from it. You have your own reflection in what you're drinking. So then you become so acutely aware of, one, that you're consuming, two, that you you catch yourself. So there's an element of self-awareness, yeah? And that's what we want. But Mohammed says there has to be room sometimes for letting go of that reflection in art, especially if it's political. Art hasn't, yeah, it doesn't mean always it has to do with politics, okay? It can carry ideas, but uh, actually our society now, no space for ideas, no space for political ideas. So... You don't want only to be in the opposition side without any reason. There is no opposition, no political opinion, so people concentrate in their art. But now there is no space for that. There is no space because we have to wait, no space because it's not the, the right time, and no space because we are... Yeah, it is a difficult situation if you start to think or if you want to express your ideas, it is very difficult. And it's very difficult because there is no community for that. That's all the time we have for today. Join me, Anne-Marie Bassada, next month for another edition of Midi's Junction. You can catch all of today's episode and features online at rfienglish.com. <laughs> <laughs>